0: From Islamic Finance News, the world's leading Islamic finance news provider, this is IFN Podcast. In the aftermath of a global pandemic and the ongoing war in Ukraine, most of the world is bracing for a global recession. But the GCC has been remarkably resilient throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. So how are current macroeconomic conditions impacting the region's investment landscape. My name is Vinda Tan, the managing editor of IFN, and today I speak with Akbar Khan, the acting CEO of Al Ryan Investments in Doha, to understand what is happening in the region. I want to start with stating that the past couple of years have been very challenging for the international community for obvious reasons, the pandemic and now we're um, facing inflation. As well as geopolitical unrest, so most of the world is practically bracing for a global recession. I like to get your thoughts or your perspectives on the GCC, which had been remarkably resilient throughout the COVID nineteen pandemic. So, how is the region coping?
1: Thanks, Anita. Great to great to be with you, and uh, really looking forward to this conversation. I think the GCC is a very very interesting place right now. So uh, let, let's get into it. So I think you mentioned COVID, and interestingly enough, I think luckily a lot of people have forgotten covid now <laughs> wasn't a great time to be going through but i think covid really showed off the region's ability to organize and rapidly react to a shock there are advantages of being a a a area where planning uh, is is key to the development and the centralized planning so the gcc using uh, rapidly developed new technology was able to actually end up with a world class solution i was back in the office In Qatar, five days a week from October 2020, which is basically testament to how quickly everything was dealt with over here. The the world then suffered another shock, which was the, uh, Ukraine, which was as a result of the Ukraine invasion. And the issue there was energy, energy shock, energy crisis, energy price inflation, and then food price inflation. So for most of the planet, both of these were debilitating. Uh, for the region, energy inflation obviously is a big positive and so was the inflation of some of the other commodities uh, they they benefited and that allowed them to subsidize and reduce the impact of the inflation from food and, and other areas as well. So 2022 was actually a, a very, very good year for the region. And now, as you rightly say, the world is looking at things in a slightly different way. Interest rates are in the U.S. and Europe have risen rapidly, and uh, China is slower, so the world is is preparing for uh, and worried about what may not be a very pleasant 2024. That said, the region, uh, the non-oil GDP growth of the region is probably the more relevant um, measure to keep track of. And for the larger countries, like Saudi, like the UAE, uh, it's growing at more than five percent, the non-oil GDP, and the PMI um, across the region where it's measured is at or near record levels. So while the world is is trying to figure out how worried uh, we should be ahead of, uh, of for the next 20, uh, 12, 24 months, the region is coming to this in fantastic shape uh, with the great uh, uh, financial situation. And with a lot of uh, uh, momentum uh, towards uh, actually the the plans that they have ahead of them, and we can talk about uh, that a little bit a bit as we progress as well.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting that you mentioned that you know the region is doing well. So, um, our curiosity: how are current you know macroeconomic conditions actually how are they actually weigh, are weighing on the investment landscape of the GCC?
1: Sure. So. The two obvious places to start is relatively high interest rates. So the GCC countries, uh, use the United States uh, monetary policy because of the pegged currencies. Um, so interest rates in the, in, in, in the U.S. and the GCC countries are relatively high. And that is an issue for a lot of companies, uh, and even sovereigns that have relatively high leverage. So that's, that's, and it's weighing down obviously on consumer. Uh, lending uh, activity as well because the costs of borrowing are relatively high. The other issue is that uh, a lot of the commodities that the region sells uh, go to Asia, go to China um, and so uh, petrochemicals, aluminium, fertilizer uh, commodities like that where prices were at uh, meteoric highs last year have come back down to earth very, very rapidly so that is uh, obviously some weakness Oil has also softened from the highs of last year but it's remained extremely resilient and the activities or the actions of OPEC plus which is effectively Saudi and uh, Russia with a little help from the UAE has helped keep oil prices uh, at very healthy levels. The region really anything above $70, $75 a barrel of Brent crude and the region is in a very happy place. Uh, last year, $100 plus was really icing on the cake. So. Why, so while interest rates are an issue and while the commodity prices uh for certain exports are an issue, the key commodity for the region is oil, and that's in good shape. And domestic growth, however, which isn't reliant on what's happening around the world, is extremely buoyant and sentiment is very high. So uh the global conditions are not weighing at all. On the investment landscape from a local sentiment point of view, and also uh, the extremely comprehensive development plans that the governments of the region have are being executed uh, with a great sense of urgency. This is particularly the case in in Saudi, um, and to some extent in in the UAE as well. Um, Qatar is uh, has just come a, a off a, a very aggressive. Ten-year uh, process of basically building up the country, and and I think it was probably twenty years of of, of uh, plans that were executed over ten years in line uh, uh, ahead of the start of the of the FIFA World Cup last year. So Qatar is probably a little bit slower, but that's that's because they they did a lot of work uh, in the previous decade. So I think uh, for a region that is coping with the global. Uh, macroeconomic gloom. Uh, actually, there isn't really a lot of gloom in this region.
0: All right. Uh, before we delve deeper into the investment landscape, specific to share investors, I'm curious to know um, to you, what are the most exciting growth markets in this region and why?
1: Great question. And I kind of touched on that. The the market in our region, which we are the most excited about, not in in the short term, in the medium term, in the long term, is Saudi Arabia. Uh, and that applies across asset classes, whether it's equities, whether it's real estate, whether it's fixed income, private equity. Um, the Saudi economy is the giant of the region. Uh, we're talking about a $600 billion um, GDP economy. And for the last many decades, it has effectively – uh, you know, the giant has, has, uh, has been sleeping and has now, uh, 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 woken up and the process of the giant in the region from a geog- geographical size, from a population, 30 odd million people, uh, and in terms of uh, economic uh, activity, that is a, uh, there, there is a huge amount of catch up that needs to be done for the Saudi people and Saudi companies and Saudi industry to catch up with what the current demand is. And that is across a gamut of industries from education and healthcare to housing where there's a huge shortage. Uh all all real estate actually, with not just housing, but housing is of a particular issue obviously for for the leadership. Um industrial power generation, desalination, um there is a development that is happening into in terms of increasing uh Oil production capacity by uh, to about 13, 14 million barrels a day, which is going to cost tens of billions of dollars. Uh, tourism is a massive, massive focus for Saudi, both domestic tourism and international tourism, and then religious tourism, where the plans are to grow are are are, are uh, very large. And also, for us, actually, the most important thing, uh, which for a G20 economy, is the fastest growing G20 economy in the world, is the the fact that 50% of the population has effectively been re formally re recognized um, which is basically the liberalization of uh which is allowing women to come back into the economy women are now savers uh, they are spenders they are employees they're now employers they're business owners um, they're active members of society and having suddenly suddenly having 50% of your population um Coming in and contributing, the effects last over decades, not over quarters, and also there's a generational impact. If I'm a 8, 10, 15-year-old Saudi girl, uh, I'm looking at my mother and my sisters doing very different things to what would have happened 15 years ago, and so the effects are long lasting and continuing to do so. I mean, the latest data shows that in the last 12 months, 1,200 businesses opened in Saudi every day. Um, that shows you the, the strength of, of, of the momentum over there. So Saudi is probably by, by a long way the, 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 most exciting area. The other place which is also very interesting right now for us is the UAE. Dubai and Abu Dhabi have very different dynamics. Uh, Dubai is the, is, is establishing itself very much as a global service hub, uh, in similar to London, similar to Singapore, but the one for this time zone, but also it's attractiveness as a place to, uh, visit, to do business from, um, is growing. And yes, Saudi is competing with Dubai, but it's in a, it's, uh, Dubai is in a, a different league, I would say, and it's got a significant head start to, to what, uh, uh, Saudi is trying to also accomplish in some of these areas. So Dubai is a big boost. And then also in Abu Dhabi, we are seeing, uh, a hundred billion dollar plan to increase oil production, and we're seeing uh, a lot of momentum in other parts of the economy as well. Uh, so for us, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Saudi are, are interesting, and Qatar, as I mentioned, is slower now, but to, in the next uh, probably three to five years, uh, not in the short term, but three to five years from now, Qatar will become very, very interesting because they are increasing their LNG output by two-thirds, uh, this is a fifty billion dollar project. Um, as a result of this, the the GDP of the country will probably go up by one third, and uh, you know that visibility in in uh, economic activity or growth uh, is pretty rare in the world today. It's that you know that by so and so year you're going to have, and the plan is by 2028 uh, such a large jump. And the country, as I mentioned earlier, has largely finished its infrastructure building plan. So, you know, if Qatar was a company, peak capex is behind us. Uh, free cash flow is just going to jump significantly. So it allows them far more flexibility in their plans as to how they want to deploy that capital. It also probably is very positive for a credit rating perspective over the coming years. Uh, but also it means that the country is uh, capable of dealing with other shocks or, or other expansions that it wishes to do.
0: Absolutely. And you know, the markets that you've mentioned, Saudi, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, it is difficult to talk about these markets without retouching really touching um, on Islamic finance. So do you see an opportunity for Islamic finance and investment in the current operating environment and if so, what are they, and really, how can Islamic investors best capitalize them?
1: Great question. And Al Rayan Investment, as as you know, is uh, we are part of an Islamic bank, Masraf Al Rayan. So everything we do is Sharia compliant, and you know our focus is on both the public equities and and public uh, public sukuk side. So the Islamic industry is obviously very close to our heart. This year has been remarkable uh, in 2023 that it is the year where we've had the highest ever issuance of Sukuk globally um, and also in the region. So uh, already for the first in the first half of the year um, or the first uh, seven or seven months of the year, we've had more issuance than in any previous calendar year. And in the Gulf, as an example, uh, that is twenty one billion dollars as we speak. About half of that has come from sovereigns, and the the rest, which is from banks and corporates, uh, but also within that, what's very interesting is that it's showing the maturity of the sukuk asset class as a means of of funding, uh, and it has brought a lot of first time issuers issuers who traditionally have been conventional issuers into the market. Whether that's the Egyptian government, which did a sukuk for the first time, or uh, uh, a couple of the conventional banks did Sukuk for the first time. We even had a U.S. Uh, based, uh, aircraft leasing company, which has billions of dollars of bonds outstanding, and they chose to do Sukuk this year. So not only, uh, is, uh, is that a testament to, uh, the Sukuk market overall, uh, and how it's continuing to mature, but given that the majority of Sukuk outstanding now globally, uh, in U.S. dollars, are in the, based in the Gulf. Uh, we're seeing, um, both corporates and sovereigns, uh, rely more on Sukuk than on bonds than they, that they used to. It certainly isn't going to be a record issuance here for bonds. So there is a greater reliance on Sukuk, which is, uh, a fantastic testament to how mature this asset class is and how it's playing a great role in actually being able to take advantage of the growth that we're seeing in the Gulf. Uh, as, as, as a debt investor on the equity side, it's probably slightly less clear cut. Um, there has been a raft of IPOs, um, in the region, particularly from Saudi and UAE. Last year, there were 51 listings in Saudi and UAE, which raised $125 billion. Um, and the order books for those IPOs were in excess of $2 trillion. So the demand for, uh, investment into the region uh is is extremely high and and demonstrates the the very positive outlook that not just myself but others uh, are also uh, uh looking at when they look at the region so islamic uh, investors certainly have avenues to to take advantage of this as well so
0: so far you've painted a rather you know a optimistic picture about the gcc um, let it be um, opportunities in in Saudi, the UAE, or Qatar, as well as now we've talked about the really bullish market. Um, but as an investor, you know what are the risk factors we should be aware of or pay attention to?
1: Uh, great question, and it's something that's all always should be discussed as well with the positives. Uh, so, I think there are a few uh, big ones. One is obviously the oil price uh from a sentiment point of view from a global investor sentiment point of view the oil price is a key risk um, which is why OPEC plus have been i guess micromanaging uh oil production more closely to try and make sure that there is uh that they don't that they err on the side of having less production than more so that uh, oil prices don't uh, go below certain levels so i think oil is uh, a fall in the oil price would be would be a risk uh, political stability um isn't there aren't any countries in the region where that is seen to be a specific risk but if something was to change rapidly uh, given the given the uh, government setups in the region and there's a change of 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 leaders or rulers uh, of others that may have some uh, negative impact that said the transitions and the changes in, in rulers and leadership that we've had in the region in the last decade uh, haven't actually led to any real um, uh, negatives they've, they've been handled relatively well Um but this is a risk, and frankly, it's a risk everywhere in the world. Uh, if you're an investor in in the UK, you probably felt political risk was pretty high when Brexit happened, um, as an example. So it's not just something for for an emerge for emerging markets. Uh, another big risk is execution risk. The more plans you have, the more uh, ambitious, the more complex, uh, the more uh, overarching and, and comprehensive your plans are across many many different areas uh the greater the execution risk the greater the risk of making a mistake the greater the risk of getting something wrong so clearly that is a a, a risk to look out for individually no one project is going to derail a country or derail the growth for 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 uh, the region but Execution risk uh, when you're counting on a lot of the benefits to come from all these projects to come through. If the projects uh, get delayed or there are other issues, uh, that would be a problem. Um, maybe one thing to think about also is risks to the banking sector. This has obviously been uh, at the forefront of uh, investors' minds globally. And uh, the region has extremely well capitalized banks, probably overly capitalized uh many would say, but from a from a Western or european perspective um very very well capitalized so that is a risk, but we haven't seen um an increase in non performing loans really of it, which cause any worries even as interest rates have gone up, so again that would be a risk to 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 think about, and also, as and when we do have tightness in liquidity in the region, and we've just seen this happening in the last few months, the sovereigns given how uh strong their position is are able uh positions are are able to actually pump liquidity into the system, so there are a number of risks, but there are also a number of mitigating factors or or reasons why some of these are uh haven't been issues but clearly there nothing is risk free and one positive risk I would say is the steps that have been taken for uh normalization of relations of countries within the region in the last three four years actually if that continues to happen and the region starts cooperating with itself more than competing with itself and i'm talking about the gulf and the, and and the and the broader region around it that actually is a huge upside risk i know you were asking from a negative point of view but that would actually unleash new avenues of growth which none of us are even considering at the moment
0: so i I think I have a sense of your sentiments, but, um, you know, for the benefit of our listeners, in your own words, very briefly, what is your market outlook for the region for the next, say, like 12 to 8 months?
1: Um, yes, it's always a question that we do get asked. And, and I think, uh, probably my enthusiasm is, uh, and positive outlook is, is you don't have, uh, you can probably guess that already. But yes, I mean, we think that, uh, of the markets that we focus on, which is the public equity markets and the public debt markets, uh, and so specifically, we think the public equity markets are well underpinned. The risk is that they probably, maybe some, some parts have run up, uh, too much, too soon, and some valuations may be, uh, running ahead of themselves. But the growth that a lot of companies are, have already been enjoying, and we think will continue to enjoy, uh, in the coming two, three, four years is, is, uh, is unprecedented in some areas. So, uh, valuation can be in some cases, uh, a, a little bit, uh, tricky, but overall we remain, remain very positive, uh, because there, the, the growth is coming, uh, either from government spending directly or as a result of gov- changes in government policy, which are encouraging, uh, the private sector to also invest. So that's on, on the, on the, um the public equity side. On the public debt side, look. Uh, the the credits of our region are uh, in great shape. The uh, region has very highly rated sovereigns, and a lot of the uh, um, debt, which is uh, publicly listed, uh, debt is. Some of those companies are related to those sovereigns; they're government related entities. So clearly, they are benefiting from the excess liquidity. But even the ones which are not, the corporates are operating. In an, uh, in an economic environment which is uh, very buoyant so uh, there aren't necessarily risks to their uh, to their own uh, outlooks so the bigger question on the fixed income side is what is happening to interest rates and interest rates in the US specifically and that is a question which is not specific to the GCC if, you, if one believes that we are nearing the end of the US interest rate cycle um, with, whether we're at it or we'll soon reach it um, that clearly is a very very positive marker for global fixed income, and in which case uh if we are nearing the end of the uh, increases in u s interest rates in twenty twenty four would be the year of fixed income um, and uh, so that would be uh not just for the gulf but but uh but uh, for the region overall and just before
0: we wrap up. Um if you can share how is Al Rayan investments pipeline looking like you mentioned, you know, Saudi growth Market? Are you guys investing more into the kingdom or what can we expect to see from the firm in the short to medium term?
1: Thank you. Thank you for the for the chance to have a little plug. <laughs> so Al Investment, we do two we have two businesses. We have uh uh what we call advisory, which is basically investment banking. Um, as well as asset management on the, on the investment banking side, actually, it's very, very exciting. Our business is very much focused on Qatar. Uh, very, very busy pipeline. There are a number of IPOs that, uh, we're working on within Qatar. We expect to see the first one of those, uh, during 2023 hit the market, uh, and the second one to follow soon after. There's also, uh, the, 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 there's also other, Mandates that we're working on with companies for asset sales disposals uh, we just worked on uh, you know we were joint lead manager on the Daro Khan issuance, uh, which happened uh, very recently so there's a number of other sukuk in the pipeline as well, which we're also working on, so very busy on the advisory side and we'll continue to do that on the asset management side we're actually uh, uh, while we have been investing in Sukuk for a long time for our institutional investors uh, we are uh, looking at uh, a Sukuk fund um so that we can allow greater access to to uh investors which we haven't really addressed uh, uh as much as we we would want to on the Sukuk side, particularly given the outlook in the coming three to five years for this asset class. And also we are uh we already have uh the largest ETF in the region, which is called the Al Rayan Qatar ETF, which is an ETF which is listed in Doha and tracks an index of sharia compliant uh, Qatari equities. We're actually looking at uh, whether we should add another ETF to our stable, uh, on the passive side. And that is something that we're working on right now. It wouldn't be equities. Uh, it's, it's a different asset class. So, uh, can't say too much more about it yet, but, uh, hopefully we can discuss it, uh, when it, when it's closer to, uh, uh, seeing the light of day. But that's, uh, we have a busy, busy 12, 24 months ahead of us and we're very excited that, uh, the backdrop around us is extremely supportive.
0: Thank you for listening. For more discussions on the Islamic finance industry, log on to www.islamicfinancenews.com. You can also listen to IFN Podcast on your favorite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.